here joining us and welcome you to the latest podcast episode. I'm Russ, Xbox Live, Toaster360. He How is you doing, Steve, Russ? Xbox Live. Steve, Steve, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. And we are having a most excellent adventure in episode 189 today, September 4th, 2020. We are going to be having uh, a variety show uh, for you, <laughs> really, uh, as I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> We're going to toss it to the fan this episode. <laughs> Gaming news includes Sony PS5 controller compatibility info, Call of Duty, EA Games getting sued yet again, and Warner Brothers Game Studios no longer for sale. Movie news spotlights Kathleen Kennedy stepping back to assess Star Wars' future and the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Our topic of the day is Bill and Ted Face the Music Movie Review, which you can fast forward to if you look at the timestamps located in this episode's detailed section of iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. Otherwise, you just keep listening. Hey, Steve, how you doing over there? Yeah, it's a weekend, Russ. Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday to you. You yeah. seem rather sprightly today. That's, that's a good sad. thing there. Well, you know, I got a three-day weekend coming up, so uh, that's one more day to sleep in. Yeah, if you're like me, I had a four-day weekend. Oh, man. Is that why you're drinking a cup of, cup of joe? This is uh, round two, actually. A cup of coffee at 6 p.m. Need to keep the juices flowing. Well, I you know guess so, Russ. Is that uh, from Colombia? I, I have no, no, this is not my, oh. this is not my, from my Colombian stash. No, this right. is, this is your kind of run of the mill stuff. Oh, you're drinking run of the mill stuff it's, now, are you? Uh, well, it's, it's quicker to make. The other stuff, you know, you got to grind it and you got to filter Yeah, you got to grind whole bean stuff anyway, Russ. You know, the, the, these are like the little uh, already made packets you just put in and yeah. clamp down and yeah. a bunch of old lady diarrhea comes out of it. It's very good. That is absolutely abhorrent. <laughs> uh, oh, it's hot. Uh, is it good though? Uh, yeah, it's not bad. Okay, you're welcome to the coffee club. It's, uh, it's it, it, like I said, it'll keep you alive. Welcome to the coffee club. <clears throat> What's new with you, Steve? So check this out, Russ. Um, you know how we've been on, the, we as though, not you and me, of course, uh, the wife and I, I've the been, other, I've the other on? team, huh? Have been on? What do you mean? Uh, we have been on this. Bilbo, we, this the Bilbo we kick on each other. Uh, yeah, we have the Hobbit <laughs> kick. We've been watching a ton of the Hobbit the entire year. Uh huh. We've we decided to watch. <laughs> we decided to dress up like hobbits <laughs> and get on each other. <laughs> oh. We decided to put hairy feet on. <laughs> walk around the house. And so, anyhow, um, saving money on razors. <laughs> Just let it grow, you know? <laughs> Anyhow, so I decided, hey, we haven't watched Fellowship of the Ring in a long time. I love the movie. Mm. Why don't we just throw that in there and give it a whirl? Mm -hmm. And so we did. We watched the first disc of the extended edition. Extended and it, edition. So that's the three hour and 45 minute long version. Is that right? Yeah. All right. Um, so the first disc is the beginning all up until... Um, the fellowship is like ready to go <laughs> all up until Gandalf arrives at the Shire. <laughs> then we go to disc two. <laughs> Peter Jackson really left no stone unturned. <laughs> um, 
virtual tour of Hopkinton and everything. <laughs> so, uh, so the the extended edition ends right when Elrond says, "Ah, you should. This shall be known as the Fellowship of the Ring." Right. And then Pippin goes, "Great, we'll be going." Intermission. That's where it ends. Scene cut. So that's where we stopped. I got to tell you, Russ, after watching nothing but The Hobbit for the entire year, basically, mm. Lord of the Rings is a lot heavier. A lot heavier. It is heavy. Like, I, you could tell, I mean, after watching so much of The Hobbit, yeah, that that is a kid's story compared to Lord of the Rings, which was the more adult story. And right. that's exactly how he wrote them. But if you kind of watch them real quick, it's like, yeah, I don't really see, you know, it's, I don't really see much of a difference. If you watch nothing about The Hobbit, which is very pleasant to watch, it's very easy going, and that's why we've watched it a ton of times. It's almost relaxing to us to watch. And then we turn on Lord of the Rings, and with the ring wraiths and all, it's like oppressive is what it is. Yes. I still like it. I still love it, actually. But I can only sit through the first disc. I couldn't, I couldn't watch the entire movie all yeah, the way through. I remember Peter Jackson making a, a point to make those films rather heavy in terms of the emotional context and... The, the characters over time go through so much. And what's crazy is I remember watching Fellowship of the Ring and by the end of it, you're like, my goodness, they've gone through so much. And then you see the two towers and you realize Fellowship of the Ring was on Easy Street. Right. And then you think, man, that was just incredibly heavy toward the end there. And then you get to Return of the King. And Return of the King, it's like the first half is even heavier than the two towers and Fellowship of the ring. But then there is this massive payoff where there is this, uh, almost like a euphoric type of, of, uh, payoff. And you're just, you're so relieved and Ugh. filled with, uh, joy and celebration and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I remember how, like there were points where I was thinking, man, this is, really emotionally heavy and not yeah. in a bad way. I think it, it's a testament to Mr. Jackson's narrative quality. Not necessarily a bad thing. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like, I wasn't it's just a lot. I, it's a lot to take in. And I'm especially <laughs> right before bed. You're like, Oh, I feel like I'm taking on the ring itself. <laughs> oh boy. So anyhow, other than that, we are halfway through the final season of Jack Bauer 24. We've gone through Good 12 job. episodes. I actually have the disc for the next six. Uh, so this time next week, uh, actually, no, probably no. Uh, two no. more weeks. Uh, no. We'll be done with that. No. Um, let's see. Otherwise, <clears throat> in Goat, otherwise known as Ghost of Tsushima, I unlocked another armor set. Oh, Ross. you know, Steve, I was going to say, I was watching you play on our Joygasm TV stream ah. Wednesday night. If you recall, I was making some little uh, banter did. comments. That's when my luck failed right there. I was having <laughs> good luck up until that point. That's uh, that. That's me, Steve. I'm your bad luck charm. But uh, I was going to say, I noticed you were rocking a bit of a uh, white type of tunic, flowing mm. tunic, something ah. rather romantic in nature. Indeed, that's just my personality, Russ. As I am you romantic. Got 
banked over and over again. Yeah, that was a bit tough at the end, but that was the last bit until I got another set of armor. Another rest. set of <laughs> So before you go into the new set of armor, how did you get the white outfit? Well, I'll tell you. So this is what I'm doing. Blanco. I was rocking the traveler's armor for a while. And as you well know, then you told me about the dude who to- who does everything in white. Like yes. it's his favorite color. Yes. So I went to him and I said, what's up, bro? <laughs> and <laughs> as they did in feudal Japan. Your reputation precedes you. <laughs> Say, hey, que paso? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, you don't speak that. I'm sorry. My bad. Yeah, no. I spoke to him in eloquent <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> que paso? Uh... And then he said, uh, you know, I, I like white. And so I said, great, give me some. He goes, great, give me 10 flowers. I go, oh, here's 10 flowers. What else? And he goes, here you go. Here's your white. And so now I'm adorned in white. I look like a ghost. Very nice. Yes. And I think there is some sort of significance to the color white in mm-hmm. Japanese culture. And I don't remember precisely what it is, but I think one of the kind of understandings of when a warrior wears that is that I think it represents death. Oh, but I think it's that it's not exclusive <laughs> to that. And I could totally be absolutely wrong. But I do think that there are like I noticed like certain types of hilts or, or uh, sheaths for the sword. There are multiple white versions mm. and they have different names that actually kind of contradict each other in a way where like one's like, you know, oh, it's just absolute demon death. You wear this. But then the other one's like, oh, dragon's tears. And you're like, oh, so. <laughs> Um, if for nothing else, I think it's worth mentioning that I think it's fun to be able to use that as a, as a springboard to actually do some background research into Japanese culture for Shizy. I agree. So yeah, the white looks amazing. I, I got the white and I was running through it, all the sun shining on the grass. Oh, you look amazing. White cape flowing behind me. It's wonderful. I do want to get a different mask though. A different mask, he says. I was wearing like the... You uh, want the shredder mask, don't you? I do want the shredder mask. I want the shredder helmet. But, um, so what I was rocking was like the black mask with kind of like the frown on it where his eyes are still open. It's not a full mask. So I was rocking that and then I had a helmet on with the thing. I think you're actually wearing the same helmet, to be honest. You were wearing the helmet with the long horns and you, you swapped it out recently. That would be the crescent moon, Steve. Yeah, that one. I actually do not have any helmet with the horns. Um, you do not have that one? I, don't, I I have that one. I don't think I have that one. My uncle has it. My uncle has like a proper helmet with like the, some huge horns coming out of it. But my thing, like the closest I have is like that, that kind of offset crescent moon uh, decoration on the front of the helmet itself. Uh-huh. But I don't think I have any, hor- any uh, horns. Well, it's, um, it's not like horns, but it's like a wide crescent moon. Like it comes out. Yeah, it's pretty big. I wouldn't say it was a uh, practical joke big, but uh, you know, your feet are rubbing on me. Yeah, see, I, just, I need to play some footsie with you. Anyhow, so I want to get a different mask. So I took that one off and I put on a white mask, of course, to match my clothing. I want to match. Racist. Anyhow, so <laughs> then after I got my butt swatted a couple times and actually the, the last time, I wasn't having it anymore. I, 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 you Rochambeau'd? I stood up. Yeah, I Rochambeau'd. <laughs> I thumb warred and with everybody and won. I won pretty, pretty good. 
And I went, oh, well, see, you probably, see you, you probably turned off at that point, Russ. <clears throat> it was rather painful, but in a joyous way to watch you uh, get spanked. Yeah, I was trying not to look at your comments as I was running away from sharp <laughs> objects. Um, I love how you had like those Goliath uh, brutes that were coming at you and they had some sort of like little firework cannon oh, thing and they light those it. guys. I have really not been encountering too many of those. Man. I, 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 they're very few and far between for, for me, but for you, they're everywhere. Yes, they are everywhere. Man, and you and and you stay on fire. You have to stop, drop, and roll. Like I actually put that out. Anyway, so I, I basically what I did is if you free all the farms, then you get these keys. You get like six keys. I'm working on that. Uh-huh. <coughs> now, in the, the meantime, yeah, yeah, the six keys get you some new armor, and it kind of looks like the armor you already have, but it's a little more like drapey. In a way, in a sense. and that's not the armor that your uncle wants you to get either. That's a different set of armor. Yes, correct. That's right. See, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of different types of armor quests. <gasps> right. So uh, that about does it, though. That, that oh, you know what? But what what was the armor that you got? It starts with a G. It's like uh, Gaiaku or Gai. And that, that's the flowy armor? Well, it's not necessarily flowy. It looks, it has like the shoulder pads that are similar to what you have on there with like the, the, the I don't know if it's Sakai armor or whatever it is, but. <laughs> it's basically the armor you don't have. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like the armor that goes down towards his sides is a little more flowy. And then there's, you get a different mask or a different headband anyway. And I mean, that's black and whatever, but. Anyway, I'll uh, I'll work that for a little bit, and I'll probably put my my white stuff back on and be the ghost of Sashima. Absolutely, and slice and dice and make Julia fries with bandits. Mm-hmm. There was something pretty cool. I uh, sometimes I just do random stuff, and I don't really know how I do it. I mean, there's tons of moves you can do in the game. And sometimes I just don't think I'm going to do it. And I end up doing like awesome stuff. And I'm like, this is going to be great looking on Twitch. There was a time when <laughs> I was, <laughs> I didn't mean like I was surrounded by a bunch of people. I was trying to, I was in this camp and I ended up smoke bomb. I mean, I, I don't even know how to select the smoke bomb. Cause all I, I know how to select is like the sticky bomb or like a wind chime. But somehow I selected the smoke bomb and like everyone's going, Oh, I write at me and I go, Kaboosh, Batman style. I'm to tell you. Tell me later, Russ. Okay. And so smoke goes everywhere. I'm like, oh, where'd he go? I'm like, okay, I guess I'll go assassinate six people. And I was like, and then like the smoke faded away and everybody was dead. Mm-hmm. And then I freed everybody. I'm like, oh, we're and gonna then remember I realized you. all six of those were the hostages. Yeah. I'm like, dang it. Where's the reset button? <laughs> all the all the Mongols are like, uh, are you with us? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man, man. Glad he's on our side. Yeah. Anyway, it's about it, Russ. Yeah. Well, to dovetail off of what you just said, I too have been enjoying Ghost of Tsushima. And there have been a number of things. First of all, I have been trying to figure out where that one particular mission is that allows you to light your sword on fire. Have you gotten that? No, plenty of enemies light their swords on fire, though. Yeah, I don't know. And I look in the menu, and, um, and it says something along the lines of like, oh, well, you have to discover 
this quest that is in Tsushima somewhere. It's like, well, Tsushima is kind of a big place. Especially when you're on a horseback. Yeah, exactly. And I think I have just about every other thing unlocked. That was the one main thing that like, I just, I don't, I don't even have the, the, the quest activated. So I'm, I'm kind of on the hunt for that. I've been having fun finding other types of armor and going through the mixing and matching. I've, I've for the first time actually started buying some of the, the um, different items from the trapper because they have different types of items for your armor or patterns for your, like your sword sheath and all that kind of stuff. And so it's been fun to be able to do a little customizing. I, th- I think that's a lot of fun. I have also still kind of refrained from a lot of the ghost tactics in that I really don't do a whole lot of assassinating. It's very rare that that happens. Uh, and when I, and even on the, the times that they do happen in that rarity, like 50% of that time it's by accident. I don't mean to actually like press the button to assassinate, but then I do. So that plus the different types of, of toys and stuff. However, just recently I started dabbling in it just a little bit because the game really does start to encourage you to do it. Like on the one side and from a narrative perspective, it's like, you don't want to like let your uncle down because he's very much like you stand toe to toe with your enemies. You look them in the eye, all that kind of fun stuff. But then the gameplay, the actual like game loop itself really starts to push. Like, like they even put things at the top where like, if you come to like a, a Mongol territory It'll say, take out X amount of Mongols. Oh, and by the way, bonus points if you do this, this, and that, that are like totally ghost oriented. So I think that I'm kind of making peace little by little with the, with the notion that that's why this game is called ghost of Tsushima. Like Mm. they, they, they really want you to embrace more of the ninja style, but Having said that, though, I mean, I, again, it's very few and far between. I don't really find myself doing a lot of it. But like the smoke bomb thing, for instance, like I did that once. It's cool. I mean, it, it yeah. is a lot of fun. I have had a lot of fun um, learning these other types of sword techniques, however. So like I've got some really powerful sword strikes now that I can activate at any given point in time. What I was going to tell you is, and this took me a minute too to kind of figure out. So when you're not discovered and you want to be able to like utilize, say like the little chimes mm-hmm. or like the firecrackers or whatever, oh, sure. those types of things are activated when no one knows you're there. When they know you're there and you're engaged in combat, um, some of that kind of changes up a bit where um, there's a menu that when you, when you like if you pause the game and you go into like your, I don't know if it's like gear or techniques or something like that. They'll, there, there's a section where it actually says, um, do you want your kunai or your your bombs or whatever else that, that's there? You basically choose which one you'd like to have equipped. And when you're in battle, you essentially like point with the left thumbstick at the enemy you want to affect. So if you have like a sticky bomb or whatever else, and then what you do is you, is you press the right bumper button. And that's what activates whether it's like a smoke bomb or a sticky bomb or your kunai. That's how it works. Uh-huh. And what's a lot of fun is I have discovered that you can actually hook up like a wind chime thing to, or not, not I'm sorry, one of the little like ghost chimey things to a wind chime. And so it, like it actually, it can help draw people over to you if you feel like being more of like a, an assassin type. So um, 
it, it has been uh, quite enjoyable. It, it's a kind of game where like I just I love getting lost. I yeah, love, I love just, to, yeah. just going on some sort of random direction and being able to help out the locals who I come across or take out the baddies that happen to be in that area. And I think it's awesome. I think you and I are, are roughly in the same area of the overall story with Act 2. Did you find the guy who was part of Raizu's group when you have to duel him? I so I dueled the main guy from the straw hats who was like my buddy. You know, he kind of did the whole. Well, life. that was at the castle, right? Yeah. So after that, I so I don't recall that in particular, but I have battled his some of his buddies. Like like I, I come across his cohorts who are doing the Mongols bidding, and so I'll get into battles with a group of them. So I happened to find a spot. It looked like Samaya was about to get beheaded, actually. And so I, I wander over there, and then... The That's guys, not a way to get ahead in life. Oh, so I go over there, and I get the guy's attention, and the dude who was, like, on his knees with, like, his hands behind his back, uh, he runs off, and the straw hat dude goes, like, oh, hey, I'm proud of Raizu, and blah, 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 blah. We start talking, and I'm like, Rise is the coward. Da, 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 da. <laughs> we end up fighting, and that guy was tough. Like, he was tougher than Raizu. Apparently, he found some food to eat. Yeah, really. You guys got, yeah. So, you guys are bitching about how you can't find anything. Geez. You're starving. You seem to hold your own pretty yeah, well here. Really. And so, it was, it, it, kind of default to like a certain stance where for swordsmen. Yeah. And so I was like dying like crazy. And I, I switched up to moon stance and like and whooped him. Interesting. Yeah. Cause moon stance, I believe is for the big brutes. I know. Now, have you gotten to the, I don't really know how to describe it, but there's, there's essentially a spirit, type of samurai warrior that you have to fight against. Have you gotten to that one yet? No, but I think I saw you play against him mm. briefly because I was you were against somebody and I'm watching on my little five inch screen uh-huh. on my phone. And so you're fighting somebody and like his life got down to like something, like yeah. a thumbnail. And then I'm going, and then it didn't go down any further than that. And I go, oh man, what is happening here? And you kept on like hitting him and hitting him and hitting him and I'm like, oh, I'm so you haven't gotten to that part yet? No. Okay. Well, I won't spoil it for you, but I did figure out how to vanquish that foe. And that was intense. That actually kind of made me think a bit about Sekiro because of um, how there was just a lot of ferocity to this particular character. And I, I respected the the enemy. I was like, okay, this is that now I'm, I'm, uh, it's kind of more on than normal. And it took uh, some time. I And I didn't perish I survived it, but like, I was like, man, I'm not sure. That's clearly, you got to find the weakness. And I was able to do that. So mm. I was able to unlock uh, another um, sword type of strike ability, which I was very happy about. Did you um, also, as an aside, did you take on the the other sword fighter guy who um, had lightning and thunder? Did you do that or not? Lightning and thunder. That was another one. <clears throat> his, his battle was at nighttime and it was like during a huge thunderstorm and it was on an, like an island ish area. And 
like essentially, essentially, if if you vanquish that particular samurai fighter guy, uh, you will get a certain type of sword technique that is very cool as well. I don't think maybe I did. I don't think I did. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I did. I, I fought some people. I think the no, nah, I don't think I did. I do think it's a testament to the idea that this game is in fact open world. How like, even though you and I are roughly within the same part of the overall story, we have taken very different paths in terms of what we've decided to focus on, how we look. And I appreciate that. I I think that's really fun. How much of a, of a different experience we're having in that regard. I was also playing legends of Runeterra's new region called Targon or Targon. I'm not sure how they pronounce it, but uh, very different from the other regions, which I'm happy about. They introduced some new things. I'm still learning it. I haven't gotten all the basics down yet, but I'm, I'm it's like every time I play, it's like, okay, I'm kind of getting more comfortable with what this happens or what this does, mm. how this happens, what this does, something like that. I don't know. What I think is really cool about the region is it's the whole like, daytime versus nighttime dynamic where like half the, the cards in your region roster are nighttime oriented characters and the other half are daytime and they turn the board itself into almost a a daytime nighttime kind of thing. So like, you know, where you, where you press like the okay button or whatever to a block or to attack or whatever that almost kind of takes on a, a, another role visually speaking where like you'll see it go from sunny to moon it's really cool Hmm. and and each each class has a buff that gets applied if like say for instance like if it's nighttime and you have certain nighttime characters suddenly like their hit points and health go up they get they receive like plus two or plus three until it, it goes back to daytime and then they lose it again. So it's, it's kind of cool because you have to manage your your cards in such a way where like you're leveraging to, to, to attack or do certain things at certain times to be able to get the most out of them. So it's very different from all the other regions and I appreciate that. I, I think that it's going to be fun to be able to get better and better at it and I definitely want you to try it out, Steve. See what I can do about that. <clears throat> it's... um. Well, essentially, it's it's free-ish. I'll say that. It's not completely free, but it's free-ish in the sense that it's a free update, and I'm sure with the amount of cards, like common, rare, mm. epic, champion cards, mm. like you can probably unlock a lot of them based off of how much you've played and earned already. Man. Do you have a lot of cards uh, saved up or not? I would say so, yeah, I haven't ever spent any of my cards. So. Well, I wasn't sure if you were still filling out your other regions or not. Like if you were trying to get more of the pirate cards or yeah, if you're doing Demacia. Or- going around doing everything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All righty there. I, uh, you know, AI has gotten a little tougher, Russ. It has. I um, Certain decks where I used to feel like I'm the man, I feel like I'm just a teenager now. Mm. <laughs> Redheaded stepchild. <laughs> right. Well, Steven, you need to play with your bro some more. Well, Russ, uh, sometimes, uh, you know what I'm going to do? 
I'm gonna start posting on our Facebook. Just text me. I'm just gonna throw say, up. Hey, I'm yeah. playing <laughs> I'm Legends of Runeterra. Wanna join? Yeah, I'm gonna post a picture on Facebook and say, yeah, I'm online again. Here's Russ <laughs> offline. I'm, I'm gonna post a picture and you're gonna find it. <laughs> Make it fun. <laughs> some gaming news we have a number of different stories that i'm very curious to know your thoughts on steve first of all is that sony essentially hands xbox an advantage for the next gen wars by requiring dual sense controllers for ps5 games if you recall steve when it comes to the xbox controller essentially the the xbox series x is compatible with every other type of xbox controller right. which is actually quite nice because yeah. over the years we have been collecting and amassing a you know i would say a nice kind of gaggle yeah. of xbox controllers sure thing well, dualshock 4 controllers as well as current gen third-party controllers will work with the PS5, but only while playing supported PS4 games. Mm. In other words, if you want to play PS5 specific games, you'll need Sony's new DualSense controller. You're making that money. PS4 controller will not work mm, on those sucks. newer games. So yeah. that's that is, I, I think, noteworthy just because. I think everybody's been looking for some advantages mm. to emerge because, but as we know, the companies have been playing these details a little absurdly close Cat to the chest. Mouse, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, but this is one that definitely, when it came out, I was like, okay, well, mm. that certainly Microsoft's going, hey, hey, hey that point's mine. Uh, let's see here, cross gen edition. Now, you brought this up to me, Steve. Yes, I did. Of Call of Duty, Black Ops Cold War. Which means that there is no free PS5 Series X upgrade. And this is very telling. Unfortunately, I can't say I'm surprised at all. While there are no prices listed for these versions of the game, the, the mere existence of both the standard edition and cross-gen edition implies that no, we are not seeing Call of Duty do anything like smart delivery for a free upgrade to the next-gen version of Call of Duty. Call of Duty. Oh, God. Uh, when it arrives, and I think that that's very telling of Activision. I think that that is a very much money grab. And honestly, I think that the the folks over at Microsoft and Sony have done such a great job of, I would say more so Microsoft, but the idea of how they want to be able to have a game that can have those those visual options available. So if you have an, an Xbox One or you have an Xbox One X, or an Xbox Series X, whatever it is, you should be able to buy the game once and then have it get the, the necessary enhancements or lack thereof and it still be compatible to be able to play on whichever platform you have. This effectively is talking about how if you want to have a version of play on the Xbox One or Xbox One X, you can do that, but that version of the game will not be compatible if you try and play on the Xbox Series X. And I think the same can be said when it comes to um, the PlayStation as well. But I think this is going to be very interesting to watch. I think um, I, I think it's safe to say. I think gamers probably are not going to be thrilled about that, especially as they get more and more conditioned to expect most of the titles that come out. 
to have this forward thinking methodology where like, yeah, you know, we, we want to empower the, the end gamer. We want to be able to let them play the game on whichever system of choice. It, it kind of reminds me of like the, the traditional old days of how like if you wanted to like bring a game over to a friend's house who had the same system, you could do so and it would be fine. It, it, it wasn't blocked by profiles or the fact that, oh, this is a different system and I know it, so we're not going to let you play the game. And I, it's, it's to me, it's just it's it's baffling in a way because that is one of the most consistently high sellers of every year. It's not even like once every two years or once every five years. They literally have a Call of Duty title that comes out every year and it's one of the best sellers, yet that's not enough. What's the use? Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know what else I can really add. Um, I mean, I, I don't... I think at some point people are going to go, Hey, you want to play the game that doesn't look as good as the other games, the Call of Duty? <laughs> and at some point, that's not going to be as attractive as, as playing a game that looks next-gen. I think one of the challenges, too, and I want to get your opinion on this, is what is the long-term replayability of a Call of Duty game? Because they come out every single year. And they're so, exactly the same, pretty much. Well, I mean, I... In terms of the core gameplay loop, yes, they are very similar. But the stories are very different. They do offer a lot of different things when it comes... Like, like for instance, Call of Duty Infinite Warfare versus Call of Duty Modern Warfare that came ah. out recently. Ah. Very different experiences when it comes to the narrative, because one takes place well, in the future. The narrative, are, yes. But, like, the multiplayer? Well, I was going to say, even, like, like, some of the multiplayer features... They're a bit different. I will say, again, the core gameplay loop of the game, yes, that, that's been locked in. They're going to keep right. reusing that. Otherwise, I mean, well, that's the thing. You're only going to be playing Call of Duty on multiplayer with the older game. Otherwise, you're going to be playing just the newer one because the newer one's going to have the narrative that's brand spanking and that's what you're going to want to do. But if everybody else wants to play the old Call of Duty on multiplayer, then you're not going to have a choice but to play it in lower res. You know, one of the games I was thinking about just now is the fact that Cyberpunk 2077 is not doing that at all. Cyberpunk 2077 is, um, did I say it right? Cyberpunk 2077. Yeah. That's weird. For some reason, it sounded like I said 707077. <laughs> but, um... You know, they have been very vocal in talking about how regardless of which platform you get it for, like for instance on the Xbox, if you buy it and you're playing it on Xbox One, you can continue playing it on Xbox Series X, you'll have your saved games at work, and you'll get the graphics enhancements, which I think that is the, the right way to go. Right. Going on to the next story, EA faces a class action lawsuit over Ultimate Team loot boxes. That's right. Mm. EA caught with their hand in the cookie jar again. Again. EA's Ultimate Team packs used in the FIFA and Madden games constitute gambling in violation of California law. Plaintiff Kevin Ramirez uh, uh, alleges in court documents seen by VGC. The plaintiff is demanding a jury trial and damages of $5 million. It alleges that <laughs> EA relies on creating addictive behaviors and consumers to generate huge revenues and that EA's ultimate team packs are, quote, predatory and designed to entice gamers to gamble, end quote. I have another quote here I'd like to share. It says, EA's ultimate team packs are loot boxes. 
Buying the packs are nothing more than a gambling bet. The case claims purchased using real money. The ultimate team packs are simply wagers on completely randomized chances within the game to win valuable professional players and other items for the EA Games virtual sports team, end quote. California's definition, by the way, of gambling defines uh, an illegal gambling device as a, quote, machine aperture or device, something of value is given to play. And the player may receive something of value by element of chance, end quote. So it's right in line with... uh, what the California state says. No, we don't allow that. That's naughty, naughty. Well, it's naughty, naughty, anyhow, anyway you look at it. Uh, yeah, it's, it, yeah, yeah. No, there's nothing more to add to that. Yeah, <laughs> um, Did you, is Madden EA? Oh, yeah. I heard Madden was like the worst reviewed game on like Metacritic. I think Madden, so, well, let me finish this up real quick and then we'll go into that. Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo announced last year that they are planning to introduce new policies that require games made for their consoles to disclose loot box odds beginning in 2020. (laughs) So that adds a new wrinkle to the entire thing. And hopefully it will be for the betterment in terms of of not going down this road of microtransacting to death the player, but... To segue from that to what you were talking about, so there's been this growing kind of, uh, I don't know, expectation or issue, I should say, with fans of the Madden series, where they they obviously love the series, they love the game, that sort of thing, but EA really hasn't been doing a whole lot with it. it. It's a classic case of, you know, they were able to lock in all of the licensing rights and stuff from the NFL and so there's really no competitor and as a result they're kind of resting on their laurels they're not really pushing the tech as far as they could um, there are a lot of key game features I've heard about that uh, fans of the of the series have asked for and it's not really um, materializing I guess I think that well actually I know for a fact I have a few friends who are big fans of the series who have boycotted the title for mm. the last I would say two to three releases just because they see what's going on and they're just like no I'm, I'm not gonna buy another one of these because again these games come out every year and it's like if you if you're just doing the bare minimum I got the the game from last year that's gonna be probably just as good so that's what that comes to now, this one was a bit of a doozy that caught my attention, and it is um, oh, oh, somewhat eye-rolling in my opinion, but AT&T is no longer looking to sell Warner Brothers Interactive Gaming Division. <laughs> Bloomberg uh, was reporting about how AT&T has decided that, quote, it was too valuable to unload during its effort to pay down debt and streamline according to people familiar with the situation, end quote. Um, if you recall, Steve, we were talking about how back, I think it was like in June, mm. uh, there was that report that came out that Warner Brothers Interactive had attracted interest from many companies, um, including Microsoft, EA, Activision, Take-Two, basically all the, the, yeah. big, the big publishers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that this potential sale could have reaped $4 billion for AT&T. Uh, but it seems as though that AT&T sees this as a growth potential for the business. Hmm. AT&T has been working with Lion Tree Advisors earlier in the year to explore a potential sale 
of this gaming division and the decision to ultimately abandon the sale, which could always change in the future, come into the turnover and senior leadership at AT&T. But Bloomberg notes that a few factors may have influenced this retreat, including the upcoming release of the yet unannounced Harry Potter game and the fact that the COVID-19 pandemic has kept people at home with more opportunities to play games. I think they probably were never really... Well, I, I see two different scenarios. One scenario is I don't think that they ever were seriously considering it to sell off the division. I think they did that as kind of like a, you know, teaser to like see it. First of all, if there would be any interested parties, but then after that, kind of try and drive the price up and see like where it would go and see if it's something that, that they would want to do. And then the second scenario is I think there may have been some people in AT&T who are a bit out of touch in terms of like how many awesome gaming studios there are that work under them. And once they had the DC fandom thing come out where like there's a lot of pomp and circumstance and they saw all of the really cool games and games that had massive potential come out, maybe it kind of woke them up and, and they were like, maybe we shouldn't sell this. Imagine how much advertising you could do. <laughs> so, I mean, regardless of, of whether it's one or the other or n neither one, and, and it's a different reason entirely, it is kind of weird though how we know how in debt they are. I mean, they're over a hundred billion dollars in debt. And even, you know, we, we were commenting when this news broke uh, a couple months ago. It's interesting to me how if they were to sell it for $4 billion, I mean, that would be like a drop in the bucket in terms of being able to repay the debt that they owe. So the whole thing is just, I don't know. Well, what do you think? Steve? Yeah, I don't know what AT&T's like goal is to have them. Um, I mean, you, just, you, you think that other companies that buy, uh, like for example, Google will buy a company like Fitbit. Cause it's kind of like they're all both kind of techy in a way. Sure. So it kind of makes sense that, okay, I'm going to gobble you up because we can kind of use your tech with our tech and kind of grow together sort of thing. Um, or like, you know, Apple buying Beats or something. You, yeah. It kind of all starts to make sense. But AT&T and Warner Brothers Studios, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering how they bought them in the first place. But uh, I just don't know what the, like, the end game is going to be. But, I mean, if it works for them, it works for them. It just, just kind of doesn't really make much, much sense to me. Pivoting over to movie news, Lucasfilm's Kathleen Kennedy on Star Wars' future. We need, quote, time to step back. Oh, yes, you do. Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy recently spoke about the future of the Star Wars franchise now that the nine-part Skywalker saga is complete. Speaking to the rap, Kennedy explained that stories have been told within this universe over the last 40-odd years, and there's now the realization that this is a mythology that actually spans about 25,000 years when you really start to look at all the different stories that have been told, whether it's in books and games. And the quote continues, we just need the time to step back and really absorb what George has created. Yeah, she plenty of time. She continues by saying, and then start to think about where things might go. That's what we've been doing. And we've been having a great deal of fun doing it and meeting with lots of different filmmakers and talent. There are so many fans out there and so many filmmakers that have been influenced by Star Wars for so long that it's a fantastic opportunity to get a sense of who wants to be a part of this. So that's what we've been doing, end quote. 
Beginning December 22nd of 2023, Disney has three confirmed dates for upcoming Star Wars films, but next up with regards to a sprawling shared universe is season two of The Mandalorian, which is actually a TV show that I personally really like, which premieres in October. Kennedy sees streaming shows on Disney Plus as a hugely integral part of the Star Wars universe going forward. One final quote that she said is, I've already seen evidence of it. The ability to be very character-driven with extended storytelling and connected storytelling. I think this space offers us a great opportunity to do that. End quote. When it comes to all of what she just said, I think that we have seen this before. If you recall, once Solo, a Star Wars story came out, remember how like she had a lot of the same type of things that she was saying about how we need to like kind of revisit what we're doing and stuff because that film wasn't exactly, you know, uh-huh. a huge resounding success like they all thought it would be. And Solo actually, I mean, I thought it was a pretty decent film. Like there were I things about it that I liked, but uh, you know, it, it doesn't hold a candle to the original Star Wars movies in my opinion. So, but it's it's weird to me how there are there are all these claims and trying to figure out like how we're going to do this and we need to figure out like you know what really makes Star Wars tick and that sort of thing. And I'm like the, the 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 this is not some sort of new IP. This is an IP that has existed for decades. The the canon has already been created for you and I I don't know. I I'm I'm Again, we've been down this road before where we talk about how concerned we are for the future of the franchise. Well, I think just, just Disney sees it as another money opportunity, which, I mean, of course, they're, everyone's in, in business to make money, but you, wanna, you don't want to put out stuff that's going to divide the community. You want to put out stuff that's going to bring the community together and keep them together. And so when she took all the, the, the rights and, and the, the Bible, in a sense, to Star Wars from Lucas, and she's like, yeah, we're going to continue your legacy. And he's like, <laughs> and then like they completely botch it up. And I don't, yeah, take a step back. Take like five. Keep going until you figure it out, please. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely going to be a wait and see kind of situation, but I ultimately without going through and beating a dead horse over it, I do think that a lot of this could have been avoided had she not have made certain creative decisions that she did make as well as bringing in certain folks who I think would have been better fits to be able to tell a proper star Wars story. But that is an entirely different gist. That's water underneath the bridge, right? Finally, this is more of a solemn uh, news article, but Chadwick Boseman has died from colon cancer. Uh, apparently, he had stage four colon cancer by the end of it. He was at stage three for quite some time, and then it, it got worse. So um, when I was looking at it on Twitter, I was completely blindsided. I was not expecting this at all, but they had um, the uh, there was a post on there. I think it was from his family. And it says, it is with immeasurable grief that we confirm the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer in 2016 and battled with it these last four years as it progressed to stage four. A true fighter, Chadwick preserved through it and all, oh, excuse me, through it all and brought you many of the films you have come to love so much. From Marshall to Five Bloods, August Wilson's 
uh, Moraney's Black Bottom, and several more, all were filmed during the between countless surgeries and chemotherapy. It was the honor of his career to bring King T'Challa to life in Black Panther. He died in his home with his wife and family by his side. The family thanks you for your love and prayers and ask that you continue to respect their privacy during this difficult time. So that was just a huge thing. Like, like I actually got choked up and I don't even know the guy. Like I I thought it was such a, um, just a shock out of nowhere. Um, Well, one of the things I thought was crazy was that he was 43 years old. I mean, he's just a little bit older than I am. And so that kind of hits home. But also, too, I found myself really being impressed with the content of his character in multiple capacities. Because on the one hand, it's like he had something that he was suffering with while he was making all these movies. It wasn't just the, the movies from the MCU, but all these other films as well. No one knew he had it. Like all, all of the, 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 the colleagues and coworkers and whatnot who he worked with were just stunned. You could see it all over Twitter. And on top of that, he also made it a point in between shooting films and stuff to actually go and visit um, children's hospitals and that sort of thing and make himself available to try and, and bring some, some happiness and joy to, to those kids' lives. And there was a, an interview in particular where he was talking about how there were these two kids that were terminally ill, and I think they had cancer. And he had some kind of um, you know, acquaintance style relationship with them, but that, that they were holding on because they wanted to see the, the Black Panther movie and that sort of thing and how he really pushed to, to get it done. And then they, they were able to watch it and then he got word that they passed on and you see him get choked up and uh, lose his composure a bit. And when that particular interview aired, I think everybody's conclusion was like, oh, he's just, he just he's really touched by reminiscing and remembering those kids. And I think that part of it still is true. But I also think too, I think he was overwhelmed by realizing that that he's kind of in that same boat. And I think that when you internalize a lot of that, it can come up in ways that you don't expect it. Like in that instance where like he still didn't say anything about his situation, but I think he was really um, emotional as a result of, of kind of going there and focusing on it but I mean what a tremendous actor I, I was a big fan of his not only within the Black Panther but also um, I loved him in, when, in his portrayal of uh, Jackie Robinson as well as James Brown and I think Chadwick is one of those types of actors where he he is a bit of a chameleon actor because when it came to each one of those roles like for instance like his voice he really changed the accent and the tone and the raspiness and stuff. Like, like if you were to listen to how he spoke in each one of those movies, they were totally different from each other. And I, I'm always a huge fan of that when, when you have an actor who's more methodical like that. And even some of the um, more understated kind of behaviors and characteristics from these, these various characters... Um, I, I thought that was fantastic, and, and he just—he seemed like like the type of um, human being that we we could all use more of. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think I remember t- 
telling you on the show when I first saw that interview. That was, uh, I forgot who, who did the interview, but he's he's really big on Sirius XM. Uh, actually, he's, the guy's been in a couple different movies with his, with his uh, show that he has. But I remember watching that interview with Chadwick and uh, some of the other staff involved in the movie. And uh, it, it came to that scene when he was speaking about those two kids. And uh, he gets choked up and he just ends up walking right off the stage. Yeah. And to collect himself. Um, and, you know, sometimes you can't help but but think, depending on who it is, like, man, they're really getting worked up and um, you know, they might, might need to take a breath to compose themselves or, you know, what's really going on. But when he did it, when, when he was overcome with emotion, everybody in the room felt it. And I felt it watching it. And, like yeah. It was like a very human... It was palpable. Palpable sense of loss... Human, like connection there that he had, and, and everybody was was teared up in the room. Even the the, the guy conducting the interview could hardly keep it I mean, together. Everybody felt it. Yeah, and it wasn't like, oh man, Chad's really taking this strong. It was everybody felt a connection with him, and uh, it, it it was rough. It was very real, and it was rough. Um, and I, I got to thinking too with this uh, this news. Yeah, I, I don't. I I. You know, if I was in his shoes, I probably wouldn't want to tell anybody either. And I probably would want to try and create the, the biggest legacy I could with my time left here on Earth. And I think that's what he did. And I think he was was crazy successful at it. I mean, um, I think people will look back on his movies and think he was wonderful. And I think that uh, everybody would will, will appreciate all the time spent uh, with him. And, um, man, I just, I just hope and pray for peace on it with his family and... And uh, I don't think we'll ever have another chat with Bosman. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think those are going to be some really big shoes to fill, and, and especially when it comes to the ongoing uh, character of, of uh, T'Challa as Black Panther. I think that, that he was Black Panther and, and will forever be Black Panther. the music it's the topic of the day suggested couples therapy. Do you think that this is what they had in mind? Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? Bill, Ted, enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel, and you didn't go to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. We've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Whoa! Whoa. Oh, greetings, my excellent friend. We have a problem. Step forward. A song created by Preston Logan. Performed tonight will save reality as we know it. Oh! oh. We better write that song now. 
Lord, why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? And take it from ourselves. Except, won't that be stealing? Cheers! <laughs> How is that stealing? If we're stealing it from ourselves, dude. Dude, our dads are totally in trouble. We yeah! should help them out. Yeah! No way! How's, How's it going, going Bill and Ted? We're putting together a most extraordinary band. Hey, you want to be in our band? Oh. <laughs> oh, this is so fantastic. We're gonna go talk to Death. Is he playing hopscotch by himself? Dude, he's cheating. Hey, Death. Life, it isn't a wild stallion. Let's rock! Be excellent to each other. And party on, dude. Well, you know, we're dead and we're in hell. But how you doing? We're, we're good. good! Our topic of the day is the Bill and Ted Face the Music movie review. We're going to start with our high-level thoughts before we go into a drill down of what we thought into spoiler territory. So if you haven't watched the movie, you probably may want to pause it Uh or if you don't care, then just keep listening. But we figure we would give you fair warning. So, Steve, what did you think of the film? I enjoyed it, actually. I didn't think it was going to be, uh, you know, the greatest film ever made. I mean, I, I watched the preview and I think this is going to be exactly what I think it is. And it's going to be entertaining and I welcome it. And so... I watched it and part of the fun was actually having you over. Mm. Uh, that was That was... Friggin' fantastic. Mm -hmm. Of course, I ate all your popcorn, but that's no, nah, nothing new. <laughs> I would do that wherever we are. <laughs> so, anyhow, no, I, I really had a lot of fun. I think I think the movie got a little bit more points uh, than I, I it would otherwise because of the state of affairs we're in with a lot of the, you know, the negativity on like yes. social media and everything. Like, I just really want to get away. I need some, I think something positive in my life and feel good and, uh, you know, life just can't always be this, <laughs> it's this sloppy. And so, um, anyhow, I, I think it gets a little bit extra credit for me just on that aspect that like watching this movie was a, a very welcome relief. And it was also a welcome relief just to have some fun and not, you know, not have a bunch of like cussing in the movie or like drug use or nudity and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, it's not necessarily a family you know, movie, but it's just kind of nice to... <laughs> have something fresh, you know? And I was, I was really stoked to see the same writers and directors, uh, making the script. I was, I was, uh, it was nice to see, wasn't it? Alex Winters, something, what, what, that, what's, what's, uh, you have Keanu and you have, I always forget his I think name. It's winners. Anyway, they haven't lost any of their chemistry together at all whatsoever. Not a bit. And it, it just totally picked up from where the last movie left off and I was happy to see like the the life of the first movie I felt was also contained in the, in the second movie mm. so I mean you know I I don't know if how many other times I'm gonna watch it but I I am definitely thankful that I did watch it I was I was loving that it was available on on demand <laughs> oh what was that Russ I couldn't hear you yeah excuse me I was thankful that it was it was available on demand I could I could watch it in the comfort of my home I didn't have to go to the theater 
uh, there, I mean, there's just tons of stuff that I like. I was, I was watching, um, an interview that they, that, uh, Keanu and, um, winners had with Colbert. Oh yes. And they were, they kept on saying that the fans really, really did want a third Bill and Ted. Yeah. Yeah. And so I thought that was really cool, and they were open to the idea. And then this—it's been—they've been in the works on the script for a long time. Of course, you know they've been in and out of projects. So I mean, lots of projects, and it just took all this time. But anyhow, they—they they got it done. They made it, and I, I definitely think it was well worth it. Well, good. Yeah, I, I have a lot of the same type of mindset as you. I, I enjoyed the film. I thought it was a lot of fun. I think that it dropped at the perfect time. To your point, I think there has been just so much heaviness and negativity going on with 2020. 2020 is just a, man, I did not think that this year would go the way it has. I was thankful to be done with 2019 and then 2020 came here. (laughs) (laughs) So I I do think that it's very welcome to see a lighthearted movie like this. It's by no means any kind of like deep movie or anything, but I do think that if you're looking for something that's just fun and will perhaps put a smile on your face and not take anything seriously or whatever. It's fun to just kind of check out temporarily from 2020 and step into the world of Bill and Ted face the music. Going into the spoiler territory here. um, Can you give us Steve a general synopsis of the plot? So basically what's going on is uh, Bill and Ted have lost their creativity to make very good music and everybody knows it. And so they're basically, if they get a great day, they're playing for like a retirement community or something. Wedding singer. Yeah, exactly. Something low key. And that's made not, not even work either. So um, wives at home are kind of getting stressed because... Bill and Ted are like mono e mono, and they're like one mind that thinks together. But, you know, eventually a wife wants her own man, you know, wants him to think for himself. And so they end up going to couples therapy, and Bill and Ted don't know why. Meanwhile, future events are not looking so good, Russ, and the space-time continuum is totally out of whack. And who else to save it than Bill and Ted? That's right, dude. We're gonna we're gonna save the world. And so uh, the future comes in and someone says, hey, our Rufus's daughter, if you haven't seen the, yeah, you, got, you don't know who Rufus is, but anyhow. <laughs> so he say, they say, you got to come to the future. Big things are happening and Bill and Ted got to save the day. And they come up with a, just the wackiest plan to do it. The telephone booth is still available to fly through time and defy the odds. And a lot of stuff doesn't really make a whole lot of sense along the way, but who cares? And in the end, um, well, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense either. But <laughs> <laughs> Amazing how that happens. But it was just, you know, the whole thing, you're, you're just actually really nice to see two people who love each other and they're, they're getting along great. And the, the sense of humor is different than like an onslaught of other comedies you see today. And it, the whole thing's just a very welcome relief. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting because I was a fan of the the older Bill and Ted movies, and the first one I believe came out in like 1989. I think it was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and then I think we got Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in 1991. Plus, you had the cartoon, right? and you had the cartoon. That's right. 
So, it, and at the time, I, I remember thinking it was kind of weird how they didn't make a third movie. I, I was not one of the people who demanded a third movie, but it was one of those things where like, I was like, huh, that's, it's, it's interesting how they have not continued to go down this path. And I always kind of chalked it up to how Keanu Reeves' career really started to take off, how he started to get noticed more and more in these other films from the 90s and going into the 2000s. You know, like when he had... Um, the matrix that that's got its start in the, in the late nineties. And even before that, um, the movie speed, I mean, that came out in, I think the, was it the mid nineties? Yeah, I think it was. And that really put him on the map. If you think about it, like the people were like, Oh, this is a great movie. It was Sandra Bullock. I still think the two of them should have gotten together and gone it on dated and had <laughs> babies and married and all that. I, I think they would have been uh, a great couple, yep. but that's besides the point. Uh, when it comes to to this particular movie, though, it was interesting to me because clearly they're older now, and you don't say. You know the the movie title itself. It's interesting because it's kind of a double entendre, right? And the way I interpreted that was they face the music like like it's time to face the music. We're getting old, kind of thing. And I think that still rings true after watching the movie. But clearly, there is a bit more of the, the, the literal translation of that when it comes to what the plot entails. I would like to focus a bit on um, the daughters. Uh-huh. So Bill and Ted, they're, they're older now, and each one of them has a daughter who I think stole the show. I kind of forgot the daughters in the synopsis, Russ. Yeah, that's okay, Steve. It gives me something to talk about. But I think it's worth, it's certainly worth noting that I absolutely loved the personalities that these actresses put together for these characters. I think I thought they were adorable. I, I loved their enthusiasm. I loved how they loved their dads, how they supported what their dads were into and they were real passionate about. And, um, you know, one was, I think, Billy and the other one was like, Thea or Tia or something like that, but but they kind of went by their first letter. So like they would be called B and T all the time, which I thought was really cute. And there's kind of something to that too with Bill and Ted. Seems amazing how it's so poetic. But when it comes to a lot of what was going on, I was actually really happy with that particular approach about how the daughters were able to be there for them when they realized that, that their marriages were kind of stressed and they weren't sure what was happening and their, and their careers weren't going in the direction that they were expecting them to go, that sort of thing. I tell you, like when your kids got your back, I mean, that, that can really put some wind in your sails. And I also like too, how they didn't just stop there, but that they actually became an integral part of saving the universe. I thought that was really cool. How like they actually became front and center for, creating this song to unite the world kind of thing, but doing so in a way that wasn't pandering or wasn't like some kind of patronizing thing. Like I actually really thought it was great how they brought Bill and Ted back into the fold as well to complete the whole thing just because it is Bill and Ted, you know? So there's definitely something to be said for that. What's interesting to me about this particular movie is that, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, just a popcorn kind of movie. It's not anything where you're like, you're going to be having these deep thoughts afterwards or there's lots of process or whatever. I mean, it's, it really is kind of like a brain dead type of movie, but to me, that's what cult classics 
largely are. When you look at a lot of the cult classics, it's like you can put, this is the kind of movie you can put on in the background and just enjoy it time and time again because it's just fun. It doesn't demand your, your undivided attention. You can have a lot of fun with it. And I think that's kind of what a lot of those movies from that time period were so good at. Was like you, you could just watch it and it was completely ridiculous, totally silly. You know, the, the personas were larger than life and, and goofy and stuff, but that's okay. Like, like yeah. it's okay to have that type of experience itself. What did you think of Dennis, the you know, robot? I- he was, I think, I'm glad they didn't use him any more than they did. Actually, I think they probably used him a little bit too much. I thought, it, I didn't know what to expect with Dennis. I mean, he was a robot and he was a death machine and whatnot. And then he started having these weird kind of motions on his face. And you're going, wait, is he all there? Or is he actually a robot? Or what's going on with him? And then he, you know, he, he was kind of funny. He wasn't crazy funny. But I think a little bit went a long way. Yeah. I think they probably should have used him a little bit less. Like just maybe for a couple laughs and that was it. And they did, but they did. It, it, it was more than. I, by the time they were done, I was like, "Yeah, he's not funny anymore." I wish at the end though they would have shown him like break dancing or doing something like really cool. Doing the robot, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't even know about that, but that would have been. He, you know, he wanted to dance, and that's yeah. the only thing he could do. And that would be neat if he was really you know, breaking it down. I would think, but. Well, and I, I think what's worthy of note is the fact that the costume design was so bad. Like, I mean, it, it, it was like Power Rangers bad. Yeah, that's true. But but I found myself forgiving it because it's Bill and Ted. Right. Like, the, like the movie is so low budget anyway. Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Like, and normally I'm not like that. Normally I'm like, no, it needs to be high production value. It needs to be amazing. But like, because it's Bill and Ted, I give it a pass. It's like, yeah, sure. Why not? It's, it's awful. Whatever. Yeah. I am so happy to see Alex Winter back on screen again. And especially when it comes like, I mean, again, I, I don't know of any other movies he's done other than Bill and Ted, but he is such fun to watch on screen. I mean, he really does bring to life 50% of like the whole Bill yeah, and Ted thing. He's and got I, a great smile. Well, he's, he, he's got a great smile. He's engaging. He, he really just um, embraces the role and, Really, what what I think is kind of crazy is like you know Keanu Reeves has has done a whole lot more with his career. You know he's been um, a lot more successful than than Alex, and that's just the way of it, right? Like that just some people are able to strike gold in certain ways and keep their careers going, and and that that's just how the cookie crumbles. But what I think is cool is that having Keanu back in in this role of Ted, and then Bill being there as well. It wasn't like Alex was overshadowed by Keanu Reeves. Right. You know, I thought that they they shared the spotlight really well. And I think that, you know, Alex was able to step back into that role so effortlessly and do such a great job. One of my favorite parts was when they they visited that future prison. Of course. And yeah. to see them so roided out with those muscle suits on. And the thing is, is like once again the effects weren't all that good. Right. (laughs) But what I found so hilarious was that Alex in particular was so funny. Like his performance made me believe he was that totally roided out buff prisoner guy. And he was just 
man, like, like it was so fun to watch him just, just go through those like bottle or not bottle, but like body performances and the expressions he was making and the ridiculous tattoos. And st- I mean, I was like, like the, to me that w- that scene alone was worth the price of admission. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, that was, that was hilarious. And part of the gold is too, that you don't really know what they're going to do. And it wasn't like, like part of it definitely was, somewhat predictable, but you didn't really know what they were, where they were going or what they were actually going to do or what they were going to face. Yeah. So I think that gives it a little bit of credit too, where some movies you could just go, okay, you know, yeah, he's going to get into trouble here. He's going to get himself out. It's going to be a happy ending. You can kind of predict where it's going to go. This, you didn't really know where, what was going to happen. It's true. And and I think, you know, if, if we want to touch really briefly again on 2020 in 2020, there, there is a lot of anxiety there is a lot of division and it doesn't matter if it's in politics or if it's in how we're supposed to combat COVID-19 or whatever. But like, I think that that one of the reasons why this movie dropped at just the perfect time is that the theme explores the idea of all these um, people that come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different time periods, but how they can come together under a common banner and harmony together through music, you know, or harmonize harmonize. Yeah. Um, and I think that that, that, that's kind of one of the things that is just, it's a welcome site. Yeah. It's a, it's a site for sore eyes when it comes to that. And I think that they remain true to a lot of the lineage of Bill and Ted through their previous movies even when they were going through time and they, they picked up like Louis Armstrong and Be- was it, Mo- it wasn't Beethoven. No, it was, it was Mozart. Mozart. Yeah. Um, as well as Jimi Hendrix. And I can't even remember all of them, but, but it was neat that they were, were putting forth the idea that like you had these different amazingly talented musicians from different time periods, different cultures, different backgrounds, different ethnicities, and how they all had this mutual appreciation for each other's talent and how they could come together and save the world, that sort of thing. Again, this is a Bill and Ted movie, so you just go with it. Yeah, but but that but that was really magical though. That was it's a simple concept, but that was so cool. Yeah, when they show up and like Jimi Hendrix plays along with Mozart because he's heard Mozart's music before, and he doesn't have to like only appreciate rock and roll to appreciate symphony, classic, you know, yeah, or classical music. And so it like and then Jimmy appreciated, of course, Louis Armstrong, and and then so then they get to. Uh, China, yeah, and with the flutist, and then Mozart takes the flute and goes. That was a really, that was a really touching scene. That was probably one of my favorite scenes out of the entire movie yeah. because even though they spoke different languages, I really liked how Mozart was going was kind of pantomiming in a way, like, "Hey, may I try your yeah. flute?" out kind of thing. Really respectful, and she let him try it, and then it was crazy how like he was able to play on the same instrument that she was that made it a very like signature sound he was able to make it into his own, but it was done in a way, like I said, that, that, that I think celebrates the, the two cultures entirely. Of course. And yeah, that, that for sure was one of the highlights for me. Yeah. That was, that was really awesome. I mean, I was kind of hoping for at towards the end, like a better song, like something I wanted to like a one hit wonder kind of thing. And at the end you were like, well, I mean, it was kind of whatever. <laughs> You know, and they're like, we're going to put instruments in everybody's hands, which was like kind of a cool concept to like get people to play more instruments and explore their own musical creativity, which is, again, a cool concept. But 
I mean, don't don't put an instrument in my hand, Russ. I'm 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 <laughs> I'm I'm really good with the air drums. I will tell you, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really good mm-hmm. at the air drums. However, anything else, Russ? I could play the kazoo, maybe, but I probably even mess up the tambourine. I doubt it. I think that is your calling. I think you are a tambourine man. What's the instrument called that's got a bunch of bunch of rice in it? You the maracas? I don't. I don't think it's the maracas. I don't think it's the maracas. The salt Russ. shaker. It might be the salt shakers. I could. I could. I could. I could salt. I could salt shake a, the the pants off any kind of band, Russ. Oh, I'll tell you. So I want to return back to the no. daughters for just a second. <laughs> Because one of the things that I've also made a note of was how, you know, due to Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter being older, I noticed that age kind of takes its toll on the physicality of some of these more goofy types of roles. And if you were to watch the older Bill and Ted uh, movies, that they were much more physically animated uh, in terms of the characters. And now they're just, you know, they're a little older. So so they're, they're, they're just, they're a little more... Um, subtle in, in that sort of thing. But I think it's worth mentioning that the, the ladies uh, who played B and T uh, Bridget uh, Lundy Payne, who played Billy and Samara weaving who played uh, Thea, they totally took up the mantle. I mean, they were like the female incarnation of Bill and Ted from the earlier movies. And I loved it. I loved how they completely embraced the the rocker type of like you know late eighties rocker persona type of thing, but also channeling their fathers um, as well. I just thought it was it was perfect. I really liked how they carried that. Yeah, I at first I thought this is going to get old quick, and then it didn't. It really didn't. I thought I'm going to get. I thought I'm going to get tired of this. Like, okay, I get it. They're they're taking on their dad's personalities. Okay, whatever. Okay, let's do something else. You know, their their moms are princesses. We're crying out loud. They took on every trait of their father and nothing of their mother's. Come on. <laughs> um, but it, it actually turned out in in, in their favor, and uh, yeah, it was it was definitely cool. It worked out. One of the things I was curious to get your opinion on with regards to the movie is that oh, yeah. as you go through the plot, yeah, Russ. They run into their future selves, meaning mm-hmm. Bill and Ted. Oh, yeah, sir. Their future selves were kind of more diabolical. Well, they were because they were like totally bitter that their careers <laughs> were in the dump and their wives that they had gone through time to get or had left them for who knows who. But yeah, I was just I was surprised at the level of dishonesty, I guess, and bitterness and that sort of thing. Well, you because they, because they're, they were already dealing with their careers being what they were and having to figure out what they needed to do, uh, in 45 minutes or whatever it was, 45 hours, 45 minutes. It was 45 minutes. Yeah. Okay. So like, I mean, they're under duress. They're, they're stressed out. Like they're, they're, they're dealing with a lot of that stuff and they had just discovered how their wives aren't happy. So it's, I don't know, like I accepted what I saw on screen, but to me, it was like one of those things where I was expecting kind of like like these like parallel universes or alternate realities where like maybe one of those realities would showcase them in that light, their future selves in that type of like state versus like when they go to to a different year and then they would have a different look. They kind of did that when they were like super old you know, they, they were, they were much more loving and sweet and that sort of thing on their deathbeds kind of thing. So 
when it comes to that, it's like, eh, okay. And it's not necessarily anything I didn't like, but I wanted to find out what you thought. So you got to think that their their goal, what their idea was to, to accomplish, what they had to do was to steal it. And yeah, they're like, yeah, we'll steal it from ourselves. So it doesn't really count. But... <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, stealing it is not coming up with it on your own. And that's what everybody in the future wanted them to do. They didn't say go go into the future. I mean, because they could have gone in the past and just took it and then fixed it. And so their whole thing is, well, we're going to plagiarize it from ourselves. Yeah. Which is kind of like. It's it, not it, really stealing it. Yeah. If we're it's stealing it. from ourselves. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And so you got to think like in them between where they played the song to, to, to bring the world together versus when they were just trying to figure everything out, their in between selves were still kind of perpetually pissed off because they lost their wives and they didn't know what the song was yeah. and they're still trying to figure everything out, which it, it took all the way to like minutes before and then they had their daughters do it. I mean, Bill and Ted still didn't figure out the song. So they got more and more upset because they had less and less time and they were becoming more and more desperate. It would have been fun to have seen their daughters also older. Like, like, cause I, like if they were to play from the whole perspective of, of a dad, we're like, you know, you're curious what your, your, if you have a daughter, what she might look like at age, whatever, you know, like when they're in their twenties or when they're in their thirties or forties and when they're old or whatever it is, like, I, I do think that was a little bit of a missed opportunity. That would have been a lot True. of fun. I, yeah. They did play with that a little bit with, with their wives, but even their older version of the wives were just in the background. They weren't, they weren't as involved. I must say it is fun when I think of <laughs> their, enlightened rocker banter that was going on where like, it's totally dude, bro kind of thing. But at the same time, like they're so deep in their descriptions of things or their observations on whatnot. It's like, it's kind of like this weird, like insanely intelligent, but also like totally rocker kind of thing. And, and that's just one of the many charms of, of the characters themselves. Uh, did you have anything else that you want to touch upon or should we go into our conclusions? Did you know that both Winners and Reeves are buddies off the set, Rose? I think I did, actually, now, now that you mention it. They met each other on the set of the first Bill and Ted, and it was kind of like this stepbrothers kind of deal where they're like, what kind of theater do you like? You're like, I like this. Like, me too. What kind of music do you like? <laughs> I like this. Me too. And then they're like, they agreed on everything, and they've been hanging out this entire time. And so if you think that they you know, why they have this kind of good chemistry, that's why. Yeah, no, I, I, I always love those types of stories. I thought it was nice that uh, Keanu finally shaved his beard because it was time. You know, it was definitely time. He has it back, of course, because he's working on John Wick 4. Yeah. But uh, it was, it's <laughs> like, oh my gosh, Keanu shaved. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> so crazy. weird. Isn't it weird how like, I've seen that too, like, like, like the Duck Dynasty guys, for instance, I know one of them a while back, he ended up shaving his beard off and it was so weird because I had grown accustomed to how he looked with his beard on. I, I mean, even like, like if you or I, like, like if we have facial hair and then we shave it off, there is that kind of period of like, whoa, you look different. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but you look different. And it's, it's just funny how facial hair can really change up your appearance. Yeah. 
All right, so let's wrap up by going into our final thoughts. Steve, why don't you go ahead? Uh, so I would say, I would, I would say, support the movie. I would say go out and 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 see it. If you're not feeling comfortable in a theater, that's absolutely fine. Watch it in the comfort of your home. Invite some friends over. Pop some popcorn. Have some drinks and have a few laughs and feel great by the end of the day. That's what I would say. Uh, would you like my rating, Russ? I would love your rating, Steve. What is it? I would say, I would say a three and a half. Oh, I would oh. say three and a half. I wouldn't say it's up to four because you know I'm chuckling through the whole movie, but I wasn't like laughing hysterically. Mm-hmm. It was w- wonderful to see Winners and Reeves on the screen together, and the, the 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 humor that they did have, and the chemistry, and the cleanliness of the movie, and just something original funny and unpredictable, lighthearted. It, to me, I couldn't have watched a better movie at this time in my life and this time in the year. I am definitely thankful I watched it and I recommend everybody go watch it too. Well, uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you for that. Indeed, Russ. And you agree. Okay. That does it for this episode. (laughs) I want my turn. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) This film harkened back for me a lot of my childhood, which I'm very thankful for. I think that that the films that were made for kind of like that 10-year-old to 13-year-old demographic, I don't, for some reason, it, back in the day, it was so much fun to be able to watch those types of movies. You know, like Weird Science was another one that was during that time period. Um, even the, the babysitter movie, the adventures of babysitting or whatever, um, the Goonies were, were like that too. Although I would say those are probably from, um, a bit of a younger crowd, but not by much. And I think there's, there's, there's something to be said for a lot of, um, those movies back in the day where like, if you watch them now, they are definitely, I don't know they, they just, they have that, that pop culture rapper from the late eighties into the early nineties kind of thing. So they're dated. Sure. But I think that, that they have something that is very timeless and exclusive to them that they only, they can pull off. And if you want to try and recapture that type of quality, you really have to go back and, and embody a lot of what those films were about and I think that, that this was a, a welcome vi- visit, basically, of nostalgia, where like I was able to go back and remember like how fun these 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 kind of uh, campy pop culture type movies are. And I'm, as we've said multiple times already on the program, I think that that this movie was released at a perfect time, just because it's so important to remember what it's like to be a bit more lighthearted, to be more carefree, to be able to not take everything so seriously all the time. And, and that it does, you know, the world doesn't have to be negative. Um, even though unfortunately that's how life is sometimes. So when I look at it, I think I would give it three stars. I think that it was an enjoyable film. It's not a film that I would watch countless times over and over and over again, though. I mean, if it, if I happen to, to watch it, I, a smile would spread on my face and I would enjoy watching it for what it is. I, I think it, it is one of those really fun type of, of, uh, 
like I said, like, like period pieces almost, but instead of it being from the Victorian age or whatever, it's from <laughs> kind of that surfer dude, late eighties, back when rock and roll entered into its, its, uh, rocker phase, I guess you could say with like all the, the spikes and big hair and surfer accents and everything else. But, um, I'm glad that they went through with it. You can tell they had a good time with it. I think that it was really fun to watch Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter be able to reunite and have a good time with this. I really love the the daughter's component to the whole thing. I thought they really brought their A game. I thought it was fun how they, they brought back Rufus as well. And um, even though Rufus was... was, was um, actually just just a hologram. It didn't matter. Just the fact that they paid homage to that character was great. I thought it was great. They brought back death. Um, the robot was, you know, Dennis was a, a a nice addition as well. And, um, so yeah, I, I I would say if you're a Bill and Ted fan, you're going to like this movie. If you're not a Bill and Ted fan, you know, you may just want to watch it just, just to like have something that's a bit more plucky and happy going on in your life. There's nothing to hate about it. Exactly. Did you know I used to dress like Ted with the the flannel wrapped around your waist? See, we all did back in the it? Was that uh, late nineties. Oh, no, that, that early nineties. Like, everybody like you wore a flannel, knowing that the the <laughs> you weren't wearing it for warmth necessarily, but you were wearing it like in it the was morning, a fashion statement, just to, like wrap it around your waist and have that was during the whole grunge period of the early nineties when Nirvana was all big and that it actually, it was kind of the lumberjack look from the Northwest that was like making it's, it's big heyday, you know, like, like hooting the blowfish were very much like that. And a lot of the rockers that were kind of going out from the, uh, the early and mid eighties into the late eighties, that was kind of like the, the direction they were headed instead of the <laughs> big hair and wearing women's makeup and stuff. Now it was more of the, the flannel shirt with the lumberjack boots and ripped pants and all that kind of stuff. So that wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm, which is spelled J O Y. G-A-S-M and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll get exclusive perks and early access to the show, not to mention it really helps us continue doing what we love to do. Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We hope you all have a lovely Labor Day weekend and we will see you next week. Party on! <laughs>